This show is supported by another incredible confidence-boosting podcast, Women of Impact with Lisa Bilyeu. Lisa's story of how she went from zero confidence to becoming the co-founder of the billion-dollar Quest company and a best-selling author will inspire you no matter where you are on your journey. Listening to Women of Impact will give you the confidence to live life on your own terms without any excuses. From building confidence and setting boundaries to getting you from where you are to where you want to go, Lisa's show will help you get there. Tune in to Women of Impact with Lisa Bilyeu wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. You're listening to The Friday Fix. Every Friday, I share a mental strength strategy that can fix the thoughts, feelings, and actions that can hold you back in life. And the fun part is, we record the show from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite platform so you can get mental strength tips delivered to you every single week. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the question of the week. This week's question is from a parent who worries that she's messed things up. If you have a question that you'd like answered on the show, send me an email. You can find the email address in the show notes. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you waste a lot of time? Do you tell yourself that you're going to get things done today, but then barely get anything done? Do you feel guilty or frustrated that you weren't productive enough? If you answered yes to any of those questions, stick around, because today's episode is for you. I'm talking about procrastinating. I'll discuss why we procrastinate and the science-backed strategies for overcoming it. But first, let's talk about what procrastination really is. I hear people say that they're procrastinating when they're actually not. Maybe they're just researching something which could be a valuable step in the process. Or someone might say that they were procrastinating when they actually just didn't have a plan yet, so they weren't ready to take action. The real definition of procrastination is voluntarily delaying something, even though you know there will be negative consequences for putting it off. Like when you were a kid and you had a big test on Friday, but it was Thursday night at 9 p.m. and you still couldn't make yourself open the book to study, Most of us have probably had that happen one time or another. We might procrastinate other things like chores, making appointments, writing a report for work, doing our taxes, or just tackling a stack of bills. There are several different reasons why we procrastinate. But the most likely reason is because we're trying to avoid an unpleasant feeling. We don't want to be bored or anxious or feel frustrated. And we can usually find a million other things to do, even if it's just scrolling. Of course, procrastination doesn't really work, though, to avoid uncomfortable feelings. Because by definition alone, there are consequences to it. And you don't need a study, but there is a study that says this, that procrastinators experience guilt and dread when they're putting off a task. And then they perform worse on those last-minute things because they feel like they have to rush compared to other people who take their time. And it's not just those emotional consequences, though. Sometimes there's financial consequences if we avoid facing debt. 
or there are health consequences if we put off seeing a doctor. As a therapist, I can't tell you how many people have told me that they wish they hadn't put off getting help for so long. A lot of them said, I suffered longer than I needed to. When I was a hospital social worker, every day I would hear patients say things like, I wish I would have seen a doctor sooner, or I wished I hadn't put off getting a checkup. Of course, procrastination isn't the only reason. Sometimes there were financial reasons or other practical reasons why people put things off, but sometimes it was just because they didn't want to go. And ultimately, when we procrastinate, we're trading short-term discomfort for long-term discomfort. You might put off working on a presentation because it's anxiety-provoking to work on it. But throwing something together at the last minute might cause you to experience long-term regret because you didn't perform as well as you could have. If you regret procrastinating, though, it actually might not be a bad thing. Regretting it might be a good sign. It could indicate that you're only an occasional procrastinator as opposed to a chronic one. There's research that shows people who occasionally procrastinate regret their decision. And that's because they think differently than people who are described as chronic procrastinators. So an occasional procrastinator will think, oh, I could have made things better if I'd worked on this sooner. But a chronic procrastinator is relieved that things didn't even turn out worse. Let me give you an example. Let's say someone puts off scheduling a doctor's appointment when they feel sick. They eventually do make the appointment after they get really sick. An occasional procrastinator will think something like, oh, I should have seen the doctor sooner. Next time I don't feel well, I'll schedule an appointment faster. But a chronic procrastinator, they're more likely to think, well, at least I didn't wait any longer. Minimizing the situation makes them more likely to procrastinate even more next time. It's a good example of toxic positivity when we look on the bright side to our own detriment. If that sounds like you, though, like you always look on the bright side when you procrastinate, you might be thinking, yeah, but why do I need to change that? Well, maybe you don't. If you absolutely love to procrastinate, I'm not here to convince you otherwise. But I'm going to guess that there are some downsides to it that you might be overlooking or minimizing. When people come in my therapy office, they're often really stressed out. And sometimes they don't know really what's going on. But when we get to the root of it, it almost always involves procrastination. Sometimes people will say stuff like, I can't really enjoy the moment because I have so much to do and I don't want to do any of it. The most common thing I hear people say is, I can't do anything fun because I wasted so much time now that I have to scramble to get things done because I didn't do them earlier. The research shows that the average worker, listen to this, the average worker who works an eight-hour workday only works for four hours. They spend the rest of the day surfing the internet or doing other things to procrastinate. So for all honest, we can say, yeah, we, we waste time. And maybe you start looking things up on the internet. Before you know it, you get sidetracked by a random article. Suddenly you're looking up houses, even though you're not planning to buy one, or then you realize that you need to shop for shoes and you forget what you were doing in the first place. But all of those things feel a little more fun and more entertaining than, say, working on your taxes or paying your credit card bill. 
But if you want to stop procrastinating so you can actually be more productive, get things done, and then enjoy your life more, there are strategies that can help. Here are five science-backed strategies that can help you stop procrastinating. Number one, name the uncomfortable feeling you're trying to avoid. This one is simple, but it's effective. Just take a minute and think, oh, what am I trying to avoid? Will making this phone call cause me to feel anxious? Does responding to email feel overwhelming? Do I not dare try a new task because it's frustrating to do? Just naming that emotion that you're trying to avoid can help take some of the sting out of it and help you recognize that feeling uncomfortable might not be as bad as you think. Brainstorm. What's something that works so well that it's basically magic? Air conditioning? Noise-canceling headphones? Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the did we just hit a million dollars stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash mentally stronger, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash mentally stronger now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash mentally stronger. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a new language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's been teaching me Spanish, which is widely spoken in South Florida. I can now carry on conversations with my Spanish-speaking neighbors without having to use Google Translate. Babbel has already taught me a lot more than I ever learned in Spanish class in high school. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com stronger. Get 55% off at babbel.com stronger, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com stronger. Rules and restrictions may apply. Number two, think about the uncomfortable feeling procrastinating will cause. So on the flip side, remember that delaying your work is going to cause discomfort too. You might experience guilt, dread, or anxiety if you put something off. So spend a few minutes thinking about what procrastination is going to cost you emotionally. That might convince you that the trade-off isn't worth it, and it might just motivate you to face the discomfort right now. Number three, get realistic about how much time you need to do something. It's really easy to spend an hour dreading a 10-minute task. So that's why it's important to ask yourself, 
How long is this thing actually going to take? And sometimes we don't know. If you need to write a report, you might have no idea if it's going to take three hours or 30 hours until you get going. But getting started long enough will give you an idea, and then you can break down a big job into smaller tasks, like maybe writing a thousand words a day. Here's a weird trick that helps me. So I love to write books, but I don't love to edit them. I just don't love rearranging sentences and replacing words and fixing all the punctuation mistakes that I made the first time through. But as an author, it's something I have to do. Trust me, you would not want to read my roughest drafts. So I break it down just one chapter at a time. And then I set a timer on my phone. But get this, the timer actually serves no purpose. Like it's not a race or anything. And I don't set an alarm. I just set the speed timer. But I keep the timer running. And that keeps me on track when I'm editing so that when I get to the bottom of the page, I don't just start surfing the internet or check my email randomly. Instead, I remember that this is something I'm working on and I need to get it done. And strangely, it just keeps me accountable because I know when I'm done a chapter, I'm going to look at that timer. And if it says it took me four hours to edit 10 pages, I'm going to know that I wasted a lot of time. Editing doesn't actually take that long, but personally, I find it tedious. I know some people love editing. But just setting a timer reminds me that it's not going to take all that long and just get through the entire chapter. So try that for yourself. Get realistic about how long something is going to take because your brain will try to exaggerate. It's going to take forever. But it actually won't take that long. And if you think it'll help you, try my trick. Just set a timer and see if it helps you stay on track. Number four, shift the way that you think about deadlines. There's interesting research that shows our brains categorize tasks into things we should address now versus things we should address later. And the way we organize those things in our minds, it's kind of like a calendar, and it gets distorted. So let's say it's August 27th, and you have a project due September 5th. Your brain will tell you, don't worry about that project yet, because it's not due until next month. But if it were August 1st, and the project were due August 31st, your brain would categorize that project as something you should tackle now, because it's due this month. So keep that in mind, that your brain will organize things like a calendar, puts things into categories about now versus later. So the trick is to break up a big task into daily or weekly projects. Like when I write a book, I get a deadline for my publisher. It's usually three or four months down the road. I don't focus on writing a book in three months. I focus on writing one chapter a week. Most of my books have 15 chapters in them, so it makes it pretty easy to chop up my time and say, I'm going to write one chapter a week. And it makes a big task a lot more doable. So whether your goal is to save $5,000 or you want to organize your house, identify a small step that you can take this week. That will help you establish a now deadline and you'll be less likely to put it off until later. And number five, use the 10-minute rule. When all else fails, use the 10-minute rule to get started. Decide that you're going to work on a task for just 10 minutes. When you hit the 10-minute mark, give yourself permission to quit if you really want to. You'll likely find that you're willing to keep going. Because getting started on a task is usually the hardest part. But once you get things set in motion, they usually stay in motion. There are other little tricks you can play on your brain to make it more tempting to get started. 
Like you might say, I'm going to see how fast I can write 200 words. Or I'm going to see how many emails I can reply to in 15 minutes. Experiment with some different strategies to figure out what works best to get your body moving. So those are five science-backed strategies that can help you stop procrastinating. Label the feeling you're trying to avoid. Label the uncomfortable feeling you'll experience if you procrastinate. Get realistic about how much time you actually need. Shift the way you think about deadlines. And use the 10-minute rule to get started. Now, let's get to the question of the week. This week's question comes from Kelly. Kelly says, I've read your book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. And my 15-year-old daughter lacks confidence and resiliency because I've done some of the things I shouldn't have done. I'm willing to do just about anything to be a better parent and help my daughter build resiliency and develop self-esteem and self-confidence. My husband insists I've sheltered her too much and isn't resilient because of my parenting practices. How do I undo the damage I've already done, help her like herself, motivate her to step outside her comfort zone, and develop some much-needed resiliency? Thank you for your time and for writing your books. Kelly, it's not too late. Your daughter's 15, so that means you probably have a few more years at home before you let her start making all the decisions on her own. So right now you have the opportunity to let her make some mistakes while she still has a safety net. So let's say you've been doing too much for your daughter and she doesn't have certain life skills. Like, I don't know, you don't say exactly what she's not doing or why you think she lacks resiliency, but let's say she doesn't wake herself up in the morning or she doesn't do her own laundry. Let's say she doesn't have those kinds of life skills. What's well, a great time to just step back and let her do it herself? And obviously you don't want to let her just do everything all at once, but you can walk her through the steps if she needs to know how do you do these things. The goal is to let her make some mistakes. Let her be frustrated. It's okay if she feels overwhelmed. She'll figure things out on her own if she has to. So even if she says, Mom, I can't do this, you can step back and still let her try anyway. Remind yourself that it's good for her to do those things while she's still living at home. Because the last thing you want her to do is experience those things after she's moved out for the first time ever. And I'm going to guess that you feel anxious when you see her struggling with something, which is probably why you've stepped in and maybe overparented. The good news is now you can take a step back. And you can let her do things, even though it's going to be uncomfortable for you to watch her try, especially if she's struggling. And it's normal for you to feel uncomfortable, but you just have to let yourself experience the discomfort of watching her be uncomfortable. Try this. Maybe write yourself a letter that lists the top 10 reasons why you want your daughter to develop resilience and keep that list on your phone. And whenever she's struggling with something and you're tempted to step in and solve the problem for her or to fix something for her, just take a deep breath and read that list. It will remind you that her struggles are helping her grow mentally stronger. And obviously, there are going to be some times when you don't want her to solve problems completely on her own. And there are going to be mistakes that you don't want her to make because they could have lifelong consequences. But your brain is going to exaggerate this. Like, it will tell you, oh, if she misses her homework one day, she's not going to get into college, and then her life will be ruined. But those things aren't true. It's okay to let her miss a homework assignment or to struggle or make a mistake with her friends. 
All of those mistakes are fine, and I promise they won't ruin her life. But if your anxiety gets in the way, if it's so high that you really struggle to let her do those things, you can go talk to a therapist for yourself. It's a really common reason why parents go see a therapist in the first place because they're having difficulty managing their own anxiety and difficulty letting go. Just remember, though, you still have a few more years to keep teaching and guiding and coaching. Maybe you just decide you're going to do it with a little more distance than you've done so far. And you have an opportunity to make sure that she's just fine before she moves out of the house. So thank you for your question, Kelly. If you have a question that you'd like answered by a therapist, send it to me. My email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. If you know someone who could benefit from learning about mental strength, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to the Mentally Stronger Podcast. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, Nick Valentine. Wouldn't you love to bounce out of bed feeling fantastic, even on a Monday morning? Well, the 5 a.m. Miracle Podcast is meant to help you do just that. It's hosted by productivity junkie, trail marathoner, and banana enthusiast, Jeff Sanders. The 5 a.m. Miracle wants to help you dominate your day before you eat breakfast. It will also help you create powerful lifelong habits and teach you how to tackle your biggest goals with extraordinary energy. Every Monday morning, Jeff shares actionable, practical advice on a different personal growth topic. He's conducted hundreds of interviews with high achievers over the years. Some of his recent episodes include the top 10 work-from-home tools, and the top seven productivity strategies before bed. Subscribe to the 5 a.m. Miracle with Jeff Sanders in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. 
So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.